0: Welcome back to Bible Time, 1 Thessalonians 2, 5. We'll be looking at um, verse 6 a little bit. I don't know if we'll get into it or not today. This is dealing with flattering words, cloak of covetousness, and seeking glory of men, but primarily those first two, the flattering words and the cloak of covetousness. Now Paul is saying here in First Thessalonians two, that they are not using flattering words or a cloak of covetousness in the preaching of the gospel. So what we're going to look at today is how the enemy will use. Flattering words and a cloak of covetousness in the preaching of the gospel This is something that sets paul's ministry apart from many other ministries And it sets apart the true from the false and if you will learn this today and and learn to recognize Flattery in the gospel learn to recognize flattery in the preaching ministry of men And of and of prophets and priests and anything else that you think that you got there at your church If you will learn to recognize flattery accompanying the gospel god will prevent you from being destroyed the fla- tongue of the flatterer worketh ruin flattery is designed by the devil for your downfall and in the book of the pilgrim's progress one of the great enemies that faced christian and faithful was flatterer and he came to them in a white robe and he led them off of the straight and narrow way and they followed him easily and happily and contentedly because they were wooed by his flattering tongue Um, let's read our text and pray for neither at any time used we flattering words as ye know nor a cloak of covet God is witness. Father, in Jesus' name, you are the witness and we worship you and praise you again this morning for your goodness. We thank you for your omniscience, Lord, that you know everything. There's nothing hid from your eyes. You know every secret motive of the heart. You know every thought. You know every word that's spoken, Lord God, whether it's whispered in the ear or, or Lord God, behind closed doors or whether it's shouted from a mountaintop. You know every word and we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst Try our hearts, try our words, try our ministries, Father, and help us, Lord, to follow you and to be instruments in your hand, Lord, not in the lust of concupiscence, not, Lord God, in the cloak of covetousness, not with flattering words, Lord God, but as pleasing God. Lord, in the sight of Christ, we stand before you today and ask you to judge us and ask you, Lord God, to protect us from the words of the flatterer in Jesus' name. Lord, also, please remove the cloak of covetousness and our own covetous desires in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, neither at any time, neither at any time used we flattering words. Go to Proverbs chapter two. Um, To flatter is to falsely build up a person for ulterior purposes. To falsely build up a person. To try and get a person to think more highly of himself than he ought. The Bible says before destruction the heart of man is haughty. Before destruction the heart of man is haughty. Now the Bible also says, doesn't it say that pride goeth before a fall or is it destruction? Pride goeth before destruction in a haughty spirit before a fall. Have you ever seen anybody stick out their foot to trip somebody else? How about when a young man comes to sit um, at a feast, at a gathering, and another young man pulls the chair out from behind him right before he sits down. He turns his back and goes to sit, and somebody pulls the chair out. Wham! He's on his butt, and his food is all over his face. And what a mess is made. And that guy that pulled the chair out is rolling on the floor behind him, laughing his guts out. Laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. Was that a very nice thing to do? No, that wasn't, was not, was not a very nice thing to do. The tongue of the flatterer worketh ruin. The flatterer does with his words what that man does with his foot. Now imagine for a moment that there's a man walking along a steep precipice, which is a sheer drop-off, like a bluff or a cliff, and he's walking along that trail, and imagine a man with a scowling face and dark furrowed eyebrows, And he's got a hood over his head so that you cannot see his features clearly. And he's sneaking through the woods. And he sees his enemy on the path. And he sneaks up behind a big boulder. And he waits until that man is just about to step beside the boulder. And he sticks a stick out right in front of the man's leg and trips the man hoping that he will tip over the edge of the precipice and fall to his destruction and his death. That man is a flatterer. That's what the flatterer does. That's the work of the flatterer. The flatterer desires to manipulate a person through false praise. And he spreads a net for his feet with his false praise. He tells him things about himself to try and make that man think more highly of himself than he ought. And the devil loves to work this because guess what? The devil knows that God doesn't change. And God will always humble the proud and as soon as you get proud rest assured god has you marked down for a humbling experience and the more proud you get the more sure you are of god's judgment to bring you low because they that walk in pride he is able to abase so the devil wants to make you proud he wants to get you lifted up about your hair do you hear me young ladies Do you hear me, young men? He wants you to think that you have the most awesome hair that ever came. He wants you to think that your clothing is so special, that you have style. He wants you to get flattered about your body. He wants you to be flattered about your gifts that God's given you, your ability to sing, your ability to preach, your ability to tell stories, your ability to help. He wants you to be flattered about your skills, the things that you think that you can do well, the things that you're so sure that you're smart about and can do such a good job with. He wants you to be flattered about how well you can draw, color, paint, how well you can write. He wants you to be flattered about your intellect, your mind, um, how smart you are, how uh, how well you're able to comprehend truth. He wants you to be flattered about your religiosity. He wants you to think that you're a holy person, holier than you are. He wants you to rest in your own righteousness and your own abilities. The flatterer, the, the great flatterer, the devil, is hard at work making you Building you up Making you think That you are better than you are The flatterer has whole seminars That he sends around the nation They are um, positive mental thinking positive thinking. He teaches people to be positive about themselves. He teaches people to understand their self-worth and to lift themselves up and to think good, positive mental thoughts to try and achieve the goals that they have. And the flatterer tells them that if they will believe in themselves, they will achieve their dreams. The flatterer is hard at work in our land today, and most people are happy to invite him right into their homes and put an arm around him. And to them, the flatterer is their best friend, but the flatterer is not their friend. Remember the man skulking through the shadows of the woods with the robe and the hood on, looking for a chance to trip his enemy? That's the flatterer. That's the man walking up next to you and saying, Oh, your parents really don't understand how smart you are, how talented you are, how independent that you really are, how capable of living in this world you really are, how wise you are. If your parents only trusted you like I trusted you, if they like I trust you, if they only understood you like I understood you, if they only saw your beauty the way that I see your beauty, if they only thought you were smart like I think you're smart and that flatterer is luring you to the edge of a cliff and right at the last moment whenever you don't whenever you think he's your best friend it'll be that flatterer that pushes you in the back and shoves you face first right over the cliff onto the sharp rocks of your own destruction that are beneath you that's the job of the flatterer go to Proverbs 2 and verse 16 and you're going to say how does this relate to the gospel how does this relate to the gospel especially this verse to deliver thee from the strange woman even from the stranger which flattereth with her words now the strange woman that's like that delilah Delilah got Samson um, to go to sleep on her lap and then she shaved the seven locks of his head and delivered him up to the Samson to Samson's worst enemies who gouged out his eyes and caused him to grind corn in the dungeons and mocked him and she was doubtless present very likely present at the final feast of Samson's life where the Philistines were mocking Samson but how does this relate to the gospel this strange woman that flattereth with her words because you see him 1st Thessalonians 2 4 the verse immediately before um, verse 5 that we're studying today it says but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God which trieth our hearts trieth the hearts so within the direct context Paul is saying that they didn't please men they weren't out there to flatter men They weren't out there using the gospel for their own personal gain or to manipulate you into being and into giving of your things for them. They weren't covering the gospel with a cloak of covetousness. And you have to pay them and take care of them in order to receive the gospel from them and in order for them to tell you these secret truths. You don't have to be part of their secret club. He's saying they spoke the gospel openly. They spoke the gospel freely. They spoke the gospel as they were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel in a way that pleased God which tryeth the hearts. Now this flattery of the strange woman will directly relate and we'll see that in just a moment. Um, turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. Thank you Lord for helping us already today. Please continue to help us as we open your word in Jesus name. Um, Proverbs 6.25 um, I think that's the wrong one 24 six twenty four. to keep thee from the evil woman from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman now women are very powerful creatures and they have their own strengths anybody that thinks that men and women are equal now hear me out and let me finish this sentence before you go to throw me off the cliff of feminism any anybody that thinks that women are equal with men's an idiot Women are far superior to men in childbirth. And they're far inferior to men in physical strength to pick up logs. And there's many other things that we could compare between women and men where women are far inferior to men in some areas and far superior to men in other areas. Women or men are not the same. God created them different. He created them male and female and he created them with their own purposes. And a man usually has far more physical strength and women usually have far less physical strength you say well I know of one woman that's stronger than you are preacher and I'd say yeah but I know of 10 men stronger than her there might be a woman stronger than me but there's always a man that's stronger than that woman no matter how hard you look and how hard you try it will always be that way and the women that try to compete with men in the areas that God has made them naturally inferior to men always end up marring and Um, ruining their bodies. It just, it damages their bodies. Don't even try to do it. Women, you be women. Be what God made you. As women, you are superior to men in certain areas. There are things that you can do that no man can do. You have abilities and you have um, precious gifts from God that are given you that are part of your gender that no man can do. Do you hear me today? Do you hear me today? You are special. You are a girl. God made you as a girl with a plan for you as a girl. Praise His holy name. He knew what He was doing when He made you. Do you hear me today? And he's got a plan for your life as a girl to grow up into a woman and to be a woman of God. And that plan has restrictions and limitations on it that God has placed on it for your good. But it also has some special benefits and some special jobs that no man can do. And that God has restricted men from doing for their good. If you understand God's creative design and his power and his authority and his sovereignty, then you can see the wonderful, beautiful reality of the inequality of male and female and at the same time of their equal value as eternal souls before God. But if instead you think that we all evolved from a mud ball and that we all got here by chance and that it's survival of the fittest, then that will always end in the degradation of the female. All these, listen to me today, Uh, we're under, there's a little bit of a rabbit trail, I'm just going to say this, it'll help you if you listen. The feminazi movement, the feminazi movement trying to make women equal with men has done nothing but destroy all the areas that women are greater than men. And instead of making women equal with men, it has destroyed the creative design of men and the creative design of women, making them both vile beasts, vile, low base beasts, crawling around in the protozoic mud of their evolutionistic imaginations, and bringing them thereby to equality anytime listen to me any of man's systems that promise equality always give equality by bringing absolute destruction and when everybody is destroyed and crawling in the mud beneath the feet of the devil then they're equal that's how the devil makes you equal if you want to be equal in that sense god has a different method but it's through humility and repentance and acceptance of the Word of God and the Holy Scriptures that you can find what you are looking for in no other way. Now, the flatterer here, why do we get off on that about men and women? The flatterer in Proverbs is almost always a woman. Why is that? Because men are suckers. That's why. Because God has placed within women the ability to seduce men. And men are generally, and almost across the board, virtually unable to handle any kind of flattery from women. That's why the Bible says flee immorality. It says flee also youthful lust," because a woman can do things to a man that no sane man would think was possible. God has given women power to exert for man's good in the service of their husbands that if they use for their own purposes can destroy any man alive. And so God uses the woman because the woman as a flatterer is the most destructive. A man can also flatter and do it destructively. But we're gonna find out that even that, the most powerful flattery in the whole Bible, listen to me today, the most powerful flattery in the whole Bible in the whole Bible that will ever be exercised on mankind will be done by a man, and we're going to look at that today. But that man will do it under the guise of a woman. You know what I'm talking about yet? Think about it. We'll get there. All right, so Revelate, uh, oops, nope. Proverbs, I'm getting ahead of myself. Proverbs 6.25, probably just gave you a hint. Uh, Let not her... (laughs) We quit laughing. Lest not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids, he says, um, of this woman with that is the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Um, Proverbs 7, 5, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Look at verse 13. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, and her words go on through verse 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and then we get to verse 21 of Proverbs 7. Everybody look at it. Pay close attention. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. Does it say with her battle axe face and her squared shoulders and her manly stance and her commanding personality, she demanded and he yielded? Is that what it says? With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield, and with the flattering of her lips, she forced him. You see, God has placed in man a nature, a will that is designed to be subject to Almighty God and never to bow to any other. God has placed that in man. When man is not saved, when man is lost, he is uh, manipulated easily by the devil, but still within his lost nature is a desire not to bow. And in his rebellion against God, he will turn his will that God has given him against his very creator and say, we will not have this man to reign over us and try in his foolishness and in his lost condition to throw off the very authority of the creator God. Man has something in him that reacts to authority that is being placed upon him arbitrarily, and most people will call this chauvinism whenever they see that a man does not want some woman to walk up and start bossing him around when in reality it is part of the creative design of God that man was made to rule and woman who lost her um, privilege in the Garden of Eden of. Uh, of walking in a sense of equality in ruling with Adam directly in communion with God, that she lost that position in a sense whenever she counseled her husband to eat of the fruit and God cursed the woman with being placed under the authority of man. And he says, unto you, shall, unto him shall be your desire and he shall rule over you. And God put that in man and he put it on woman, and in, in woman. And that's why women fight so hard against that model and try to claim that the age of enlightenment tells them that they are equal in authority to man, even though the Bible says they're not. Now, um... Here we can go on, Proverbs 7. It's with her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. By the way, all these major uh, feminazi icons in politics that stand up in Washington, D.C. and in other places around the world, and they flaunt their woman power, and they bark orders at men, and they tell people what to do, and they abuse their authority, left and right, without fail. It's it's all they know how to do is abuse their authority because they don't really have any. If you look into their lives, you will find that these people have these ladies that got in these positions of power did it in the bed of powerful men. Oh, now they're howling. Well, howl all you want to. You howl because you're guilty. So these women will come and they'll get in bed with a powerful man. Hillary Clinton said of Bill Clinton, she said when in an interview, she said, I was attracted to Bill Clinton, and this is a loose, um, I can't remember verbatim what she said, but you can look it up. She said, I was attracted to Bill Clinton. She, they, I think they said, what attracted you to him? And she said, I was attracted to him when I saw power in him. I said, this man is going places, and, I was, and so I decided to stick with him. What she's saying... Well, it's obvious from the relationship that they had not any of that um, wonderful bliss of Christian matrimony. But in any case, what they did have was a power relationship. And Hillary Clinton, by her own admission, rode Bill Clinton's coattails into power. She got to power in the bed of a powerful man. And that's how these women do it. They obtain it by flatteries, with their much fair speech. And that's how they get there. And it's that's just the way it works. You don't like that, then crime, a river and um, go hate on God because that's who you're fighting against. God's the one that made man in his image and that made woman in the image of man and that said that man would rule over women. God said that and then he gave different commands about that and in the Christian realm and under the power of the Holy Spirit it's a beautiful wonderful thing and there's nothing more empowering to the female gender than a godly marriage nothing more empowering nothing more uplifting because whenever a woman submits to God and submits to her husband and her husband submits to God he loves her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and his back is what raises her up and she is lifted up by that one that would rule over here, just as Christ did for us. Same beautiful story is what Christ did for us is what God intends the husband to do for his wife, to love her and cherish her, even as Christ um, does the church. Now, this woman, the flattering woman, um, causes this man to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter. So this man comes along, come here over here and let me use you for an illustration. So I'm going to take this young man and pretend like I've got a ring in his nose and bend over like an ox, and I'm going to pull you to the slaughter. Now, if I'm pulling on your nose, it's pretty hard not to go that way, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, your nose is pretty tender, isn't it? Isn't it? And if your nose goes somewhere, you pretty much follow it, don't you? Yes, have a seat. Thank you for that illustration. I know that wasn't fun, but you did it well, and I'm grateful for your good attitude. Now, the um, the ox going after the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, this man follows her, like an ox going after the slaughter, she's got him by the nose. She's got his face. She's got his ears. She's got his eyes. She's got his lips. She's got his nose. She's got him completely controlled, and he's going after her like an ox going to the slaughter, like it's the butcher day. He doesn't know he's going to get butchered, but he's going to get butchered. And that's what flattery does. Paul said we did not preach the gospel with flattering words nor a cloak of covetousness, which means that the gospel is preached with those things. Go to Proverbs 22 um, and verse 14. We're gonna lay a little bit more groundwork, and then we're gonna look at the flatterer's gospel. Um, Proverbs 22 and verse 14. Well, that's a good verse, but that's not the one that I was looking for. Um, That's another verse the liberals is howl over. You can look that one up later. Um, Proverbs 22... We're going to have to skip that one because it's, I don't see the reference, which one it was. Go to Proverbs 26, 22. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. He's saying it's like a shiny broken piece of pot that has been covered in the slough off of a silver melt. So at first glance, it looks like something valuable. At first glance, it looks like something you want. And as soon as you pick it up, you realize that it's nothing but the dross of the silver coating a broken piece of pottery and it has no value. But it's shiny enough to attract your attention and get you to come over to it. These are burning lips and a wicked heart burning lips now we talk as preachers about God touching our lips with a coal of fire because that's what God did for Isaiah he took a coal with tongs from beneath the the throne of God himself in the altar and as in a cherubim or a seraphim I can't remember which came and touched his lips with a coal of fire and sent him out to preach and we say God touch our preachers lips with a coal of fire God put fire in his heart and put fire in his lips but here the Bible says burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. And so you can preach the word of God with apparent anointing and you can preach the God, the word of God with power, but with a wicked heart, it's like a potsherd covered with silver dross. And look at the end of this. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Now, this is saying that people lie. How many of you knew that already? What? People lie and religious people lie? No, you've got to be kidding me. No, the Bible says they do. And if you are naive enough to think that they don't, I don't know where you're going to end up other than the lake of fire. Burning lips and a wicked art are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. He that hateth dissembleth with his lips. That means he says one thing and means another. The preacher can get up and preach Charles Spurgeon and not believe a word of it. He can speak. He can preach the Sermon on the Mount and not believe a word of it in his heart. And there's hypocrisy in his heart. He's saying one thing, meaning another, dissembling with his lips, trying to win you over to him using religion, dissembling with his lips, using the Bible, using the word of God to try and make you think he's a good guy and try and get you to follow him and exalt him. He says, this is silver dross on a potsherd. It has no value. He said, and God says, when he speaketh fair, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart whose hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. God says, I'll expose him. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. Listen to verse 28. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. A flattering mouth worketh ruin. Go to Proverbs 5. A flattering mouth worketh ruin. Proverbs 5 and verse 3 says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Proverbs fourteen fifteen says, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. If you believe your church and you don't study the Bible yourself, you are a simple man. You're not looking well to your going, and you're going to be destroyed. You're being led astray. There's no way you're going to make it. Listen to me today. The proud have no defense against flattery. None. None. You get proud, you cannot defend yourself against flattery. It is impossible for a proud man absolutely impossible his defense his armor is down he is at the mercy of the next flatterer that walks up to him he cannot defend against it he will receive the flattery the flattery will increase his pride the increase of pride lowers his defenses lowers his perception lowers his ability to see where he's going and opens him up for further flattery that then does the same thing and it is a vicious cycle and only God can rescue a man that's given himself to pride and to flattery or he's gone you say so many people walking around and they believe things that are absolutely contrary to the word of God but they will not turn from their false beliefs why they've been visited by the flatterer and the flatterer has them by the nose and they won't let go of that false praise and their false pride for anything they will walk right off that cliff holding on to their false pride and at the same time being absolutely ignorant, thinking themselves to be wise, they became as fools. The Bible says um, that they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. And that describes a most modern religion. Most modern evangelical religion fits in that standard. Men and people and women that have been ignorant ignorant of God's righteousness and gone about to establish their own righteousness and they're walking along following a flatterer who's got them by the nose. How would you like to be grabbed by the nose and drug everywhere today? Not at all then you better get humble before God. You better get in the word of God and know what it says. Go to Revelation 13, five. We're gonna finally get there. I want you to introduce you to someone here. Um, Revelation 13, five. I told you we'd tell you about the worst flatterer, um, the worst human flatterer, and we're gonna get there right here. Revelation 13, five speaks of this beast. Look at verse one. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, and ten horns, and upon his horns, ten crowns, and upon his head, heads the name of blasphemy. Now this beast is described in Daniel, and we know him to be the Antichrist, and we're not getting into all that right now, don't have time to. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority, the dragon being Satan. The Bible says that explicitly later in revelation um and i saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast now the beast represents the antichrist and his system and his cabinet and his administration so to speak you notice that there were several heads and one of the heads was wounded and then was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and powers given unto him to continue 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. So notice here that he is given a mouth speaking great. Great things and blasphemies. Go to Daniel chapter 8 quickly. We're looking here at the greatest flatterer that will ever live. You say, why would you use the word greatest regarding this guy whenever he's such a low creature? Because he'll be great in the eyes of the world because the world will follow him. Um, 823. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressions are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up and it talks about in verse 25 shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many so here is standing up a ruler that understands dark sentences that dabbles in witchcraft and that is able to bring in peace to people's destruction and uses peace to destroy people and this is a flatterer promising peace while bringing them to destruction the a flatterer puts his arm around you and leads you to the edge of the cliff and gives you a gentle shove right off the edge onto your head on all the sharp rocks and giggles gleefully while your body crashes and cracks and breaks and the blood comes from a thousand wounds and you fall down to the very bottom and die that's the job of a flatterer go to daniel eleven twenty here is antiochus Epiphanes and in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries this happened this is a prophetic account written about a man that was not even born yet if i understand the dates right if i remember them right because i haven't brushed up on those dates Haven't looked at them in a while, but Antiochus Epiphanes really happened, and he happened exactly the way the Bible says he would, but he's also a picture and a foreshadow of the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation, and he obtains the kingdom peaceably and by flatteries. He uses flatteries to gain control of the world. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. Verse 24, he shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province, and he shall do that which his fathers have not done, Nor his father's fathers, he shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches. He'll give away prey and spoil and riches. That's food and things and money. And he'll give it away left and right. And he'll use flatteries and gifts to obtain the kingdom. And it says, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. So he'll be able to prophesy and work witchcraft to accomplish his deeds. Look at verse 32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Now there's a significant thing there. Such as do wickedly against the covenant. Do you remember Paul said that they were given trust of the gospel? And the New Testament covenant, the Old Testament covenant that Antiochus Epiphanes did did wicked that he corrupted those people that were doing wickedly against the covenant is a picture and a foreshadow of those that will claim the name of Jesus Christ claim that they will be Christians but they will do wickedly against the covenant and they will walk in lasciviousness and lusts of concupiscence and pretend to be Christians and while they're saying they're Christians they do not keep Christ's commandments but they say I love you Lord I love you Lord because of Calvary and they sing songs and they wave their hands in the air and they dance dances and they go to conferences and they do prophecies and healings and all kinds of things and they even speak with tongues and cast out devils even as Jesus Christ himself predicted that they would say have we not cast out devils in thy name and then he will say unto them depart from me I never knew you ye workers of iniquity these great doers of great deeds these flatterers uh, themselves these who have been allured by covetousness and are luring others by covetousness but are doing evil against the covenant. Listen to me today. Christians who are doing evil against the covenant but they call themselves Christians will be corrupted by the great flatterer. They will think that they're so smart, so religious, so eternally secure but they will be corrupted by the antichrist. You say, how can you be corrupted if you're already doing evil against the covenant? You can be caused to worship a God that is no God. You can be taken from your false Christianity into pure, straight-up idolatry, and that's what he's going to do. That's how he's going to corrupt them, and he will do it by flatteries. It says, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So there's a contrast there between the people that do evil against the covenant and those that know their God. Let's look down here at verse 34. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flattery. So what the picture that God is painting for us of the end times is a time of flattery. It's a time of political correctness. It's a time of council culture. It's a time of telling people what they're allowed to say and what they can't say. It's a time of telling people things that they want to hear to achieve purposes from them. My dear black, um, fellow human beings, my dear black friends, are being flattered by the liberal left of America and being told all these things that itch their ears, told how they're victims, told how, um, how they need the government, how the government loves them, and all the while the government is pushing them over the precipice. The very government that claims that it loves black people, the liberal left of America, has set about to do a total genocide of black people in this nation, and they've said it openly and yet so often our black friends are deceived by these flatteries because every man regardless of his color is susceptible to flattery and these people tell them we love you we're going to take care of you and they scatter upon them riches and favors and then they turn around and butcher their babies and kill them off as fast as they can. It's exactly what is going to happen on a whole scale level to the entire world in the end times. And here it says that these bread, these true believers will have many cleave to them with flatteries. And so these people will come in and say, wow, you're a real preacher. Wow, this is the real church. We want to be in on this. And they'll come to church for a while and pretend like they follow Jesus, but they will be dissembling in their hearts and putting on a hypocritical show and they will be fake Christians. Christians mixed with the church just like Jesus said there would be. He said that there will be wheat with the tares and that they must be left, left alone lest you root up the wheat with them until the time of harvest whenever the master will separate them and burn the tares with unquenchable fire. It says, and some of them of understanding shall fall. By direct context in Daniel um, eleven they'll fall because they've been cleaved to by flatterers. There will be people. William Tyndale, was was a mighty man of God and a one and a man came in and befriended him and acted like his buddy and told him how great he was and then betrayed him to the Catholic Church that then burned William Tyndale at the stake for the egregious and horrifying heretical offense of translating the word of God into English so that the people could read the Bible for themselves. Now if you think that that's a real offense then you're of the devil. Um, like the church that burned the man. No one that burns someone for reading the Bible is of God. Good grief. We're not even going to waste time anymore on that. And if you think that your church is of God when it does that, you are of the devil with them. And I love you enough to tell you the truth and not to flatter you. Oh, but you want flattery, so you'll go back to mass Saturday and do your little mass thing and get flattered by the priest because you don't wanna hear the truth. But I can't help that. All I can do is love you and tell you the truth. So Daniel chapter eleven thirty six after some of them of understanding fall, and the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. Marvelous things. How can you call things that are spoken against the God of gods marvelous things? I ask you today, how can you? How can you call something spoken against the God of gods, capital G, God, that's the creator God, the almighty Jehovah God himself, How can you speak marvelous things against him? By flatteries. And shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that 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 is determined shall be done." So here he's going to obtain the kingdom by flatteries. He's going to maintain the kingdom by flatteries. He's going to corrupt the kingdom by flatteries. He's going to cause some to fall through flatteries. And then he's going to lift himself up against the God of gods. Now, um, he says that he will worship a different God. um, And we're just going to throw this in here. For good measure, he shall magnify himself. It says, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above God. And it says that in his estate he shall honor the God of forces and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. People, this is already here in its infancy. All of this stuff's already set in place. One of the uh, great cinematic um, successes of our day is a cult science fiction movie that honors the God of forces. And they all say to each other, may the force be with you. And now in this country, we have May 4th, the May the Force And instead of they say may the fourth be with you and make a big joke about it And they go hee ha, and they wear all their little demonic pictures and paintings and drawings And they fill their home with little idols of their favorite characters in that science fiction show called star wars That is nothing but a demonic anti-christ pagan religious festival And and heresies it's full of wickedness all kinds of idolatry and witchcraft And then they say may the fourth be with you ha 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 the jokes on you the joke's on you. The one that's really laughing is the devil. The flatterer. Listen to me. You, oh, I don't like that. No, you don't because you like the flatterer. You like him to put his arm around you and give you little giggles and grins and tell you you're okay with God when you're not. And in the meanwhile, you're edging closer and closer and closer and closer to the precipice. And again, I'm your friend. You're going to say, I don't agree with you. I don't like what you say. I'm going to go watch that movie just despite to you today. I can't help that. All I can do is tell you the truth. And if you want to go and kiss the flatterer and put your arm around him and walk off the precipice with him, I can't stop you. You still have freedom to do that. But I can warn you, flattery here we see as a weapon of the Antichrist. Now, how does this tie in with womanhood? How does this tie in with the female gender? Go to um, Revelation 17 and here's where we tie it in. You see, the woman here in Revelation 17 is a dastardly evil woman. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. Where have we seen those seven heads? And ten horns before. The beast in Revelation 13 5 had seven heads and ten horns or 10 crowns. I can't remember. We could go back and look at it. It says, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. Um, let's look back here. The beast, Revelation 13, one, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns. And here's this woman sitting upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns, Antiochus Epiphanes, a type of this great beast, a type of the Antichrist full of blasphemies, speaking marvelous things against the God of gods, and here is this woman riding upon the back of the beast. Where does she get her power? Where does she get her authority? What fuels this woman riding upon this beast? How can she sit there for nearly 2,000 years, 1,700 years, this woman has sat there riding upon the back of the beast, murdering people by the millions, drunk with the blood of the saints, sending out all kinds of vile proclamations against Christians saying kill them butcher them kill them anything you do to them no matter how cruel it doesn't matter we approve of it and then guess what one of them stands up and says literally in only less than 30 years ago Their great leader stood up and said that um, basically pardon must be asked for differences caused between different professing Christians and how violence was used in the name of truth. And he justified the harsh murder, the brutal murder and killing of women and children and innocent men because it was done in the name of truth. It says the reason we did it was right. It was good. We had a good reason to do it, but we really should apologize for it. Same exact same exact creature. No different. And if you can't figure out who that creature is, I can't help you much. I'll help you in a minute, but um, try and figure it out yourself. Look at verse 4. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. Um, So this has got to be a group that's very wealthy and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. So you've got to find, in order to find this woman, you've got to find a ruling faction that is decked with gold and purple and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So she's got to be full of abominations of idolatry, and she's got to be full of fornication, all kinds of illicit immorality. And upon her forehead was a name written mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the martyrs, blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So here's a woman that is literally drunk from having imbibed, having taken into her body and slaked her throat thirst on the very blood of believers in Jesus Christ and it says that this woman sits upon many waters and it says down here um, that John marveled he said I wondered with great admiration and the angel said unto me wherefore didst thou marvel He marveled because she was amazing. He marveled because her towers were high. Her clothing was incredible. Her processes and her customs and traditions were amazing and of extreme historical value and dated back many, many, many hundred years. He wondered because she was the most amazing thing he'd ever seen and because she has the mouth of the flatterer. And the beloved John the Beloved, one of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, marveled at the great whore, and you think you're going to fare better. You think that you're so smart you couldn't possibly be duped. By the way, that's what she tells you. That's what she told you last time you went and laid your head in the lap of the great whore. Oh, you're so smart. You're so wise. You're so intelligent. You're so religious. You're so good. God surely approves of you just like you are. And by the way, your association with me just shows just how astute you are and just how wise you are and how religious you are. You laid your head in her lap and let her pet you. So many Christians doing this today of so many different groups in so many different ways. Let's read on. And it says, um, I will tell thee, says the angel, the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. So this beast then was that raised her up, but is not now, he says to John. He says, it was, is not at this point in the prophecy, and will raise up. Lord, help me to rightly divide this. And if I get any of this wrong, um, shoot me an email and show me my error. I'd love to understand better, but you better have scripture, or I'll just um, have to ask you to find scripture. It'd be a waste of time. So anyway, it says here, the beast thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world and when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. So it's there. The beast still is there, but it's not there. What could that possibly mean? So this is an organization that was, the beast is an organization that was and is not, but yet is. So publicly, it's not visible, but privately and spiritually, it's still there. And here is the mind which hath wisdom, the angel goes on to say. The seven heads of this beast, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And he goes on here with the seven kings, the five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come, and when he cometh, he must continue a short space, and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven, and goeth into perdition. We can't get into all this, we're out of time. And, and I haven't even studied it out, because that's not what we're looking at right now. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings when hour with the beast. These all have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful and he saith unto me the waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues so this whore that's standing this whore sitting here with the cup of abominations and filthiness this whore, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, is drunk with the blood of martyrs, has literally drank the blood of the saints of God. Literally. And by a huge count. She sits on the beast that is has risen, that seven heads of this beast, where this woman sits, are mountains where the woman sitteth. And it says... The kings of the earth have made fornication with her. Now, the seven mountains, the only seven mountains that have ever risen to world power are the seven mountains of Rome. Rome is founded on seven hills, on seven mountains. And that city of Rome then gave birth to and raised up out of the sea and gave birth to the great whore. The Roman Catholic Church that sits on the back of the great beast, drunk with the blood of the saints. There's never been an organization more full of the blood of saints than the Roman Catholic Church for 1,700 years since its inception from the bowels of hell in the days of Constantine, which is verifiable fact... The Roman Catholic Church has murdered and drunk the blood of the martyrs by the scores and by the thousands. By the way, the man that I just mentioned who said that all the murder of the martyrs was done in truth was Pope John Paul II. That's one of his quotes. Um, you can look all that up for yourself. Same whore, same church, same stuff. If, if the Roman Catholic Church today had the power, they would immediately begin executing and torturing Christians left and Right? They believe by their doctrine, they believe that unless you're part of the Roman Catholic Church, you will go to hell. The only way they say that you can go to heaven is by taking their sacraments and by being baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. It is not an evangelical faith, but they have taken the kingdom by flatteries. And oh, how many evangelicals they have led astray into thinking that they that have wondered at them. And I'm amazed by it. Many of the men that God has used mightily have wondered at them and been marveled at them and been duped by them, but they are nonetheless the queen of flatterers. Now this great beast, I told you, will do his flattering work in the guise of a woman. What is riding on the back of the great beast? The great whore, the woman, the flatterer, and the beast will be brought to the world under the whore. The whore will act as if she has authority over the beast. But if you read on through there, the beast will eventually burn the whore with fire. The ten horns... Um, it says, which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh. Listen up, Mr. Pope, you're in for it. You're about to go through a holocaust. You Catholic folks, are about to go through a holocaust because the beast, the Antichrist, is going to devour you. He is not going to want you to even pretend to worship Jesus. And so he is going to eat your flesh and burn you with fire. Verse 17, for God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest, listen, is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. He just told you what the great whore is, that great city that reigneth over the kings of the earth. There is only one city that fits this description and it is Vatican Rome. The Vatican is a city, an autonomous city state, and the kings of the earth have come there to commit fornication with her, and she has ruled over the kings of the earth. Remember the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire? Was it Frederick the Great? I can't remember. I had to brush up on my history. Remember him standing in the snow for almost 24 hours. Maybe I'm getting this was somewhat wrong go back and fact check it but he stood in the snow for hour after hour after hour wasn't it pope innocent i can't remember but there was a pope there that was saying until i humble you enough that i'll you will await my pleasure in the snow or i will destroy your country and that king waited in the snow blistering mad but unable to do anything about it and when the pope finally let him in that great emperor knelt before the pope and kissed his ring so that the pope would take the spiritual excommunication of all of his people off of his land. The Pope had said, I'm sending all your people to hell because you won't obey me. What kind of a religious leader is that anyway? Even if he could do it, which he can't. Now, um, the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. And then we have the fall of Babylon in Revelation 18. If you're a Catholic, you need to know Revelation 18 very well. You need to understand it. You need to read it because your Babylon is going to fall. Babylon the great, some people say is America. Read your Bible. It says right there in 17, mystery, Babylon the great, written on the forehead of the great whore, and the great whore is the city, the great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth, and that is Vatican Rome. Now, um, the destruction of Babylon is there in 18. We don't have time to look at that right now. We are talking today about the um, gospel of flattery. Paul said, as we were put in trust with the gospel, go back to 1 Thessalonians, even so we speak, as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men which try their hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. Now, we're going to have to jump into the cloak of covetousness, um, Lord willing, tomorrow, because we didn't even get started on that next part. Um, but I want you to see this gospel of flattery. What sets the gospel of flattery apart? The gospel of flattery is designed to please men instead of pleasing God. It is designed to give men license to sin. Um, the great whore is the greatest example of the gospel of flattery, but it happens everywhere all the time. So let's, let's depart from that discussion for just a little while and let's get down in our final minutes here and just discuss the flattery that can happen and let's, let's just pick on the good old Baptist today because I love the Baptists. I've got a lot of good Baptist friends. Um, and the we're not, oh, well, help me, Lord, not to get off on a tangent there. But let's just pick on the Baptist for a minute. So let's say we have a Baptist church and in that Baptist church, They've been preaching the good old doctrines of the faith for many years. And over the years, they have had um, some church growth. And during that time of church growth, they've had some influential men in their church. And those men have contributed greatly to the work of God. And over time, those men in that Baptist church, their families begin to fall apart and there's sin in the camp and sin in their families. And they're bringing the sin into the church and accepting the sin publicly and acting as if the sin of silence. Sodomy, which God says is an abomination, is okay with God, and the preacher then is charged with as he's put in trust with the gospel, even so to speak. But whenever he starts to preach the gospel, he suddenly starts dropping sodomy from his messages. And he'll no longer say sodomy. He'll no longer talk about it. He'll no longer say a word about it because one of the leading men in his church has a daughter that's a sodomite, and one of the leading women in the church has a son who's a sodomite, and he will no longer say. Anything about it. Now he is flattering men. This is how the gospel of flattery works. The gospel of flattery cares more about exerting control over people and maintaining my position and authority over people than it cares about the truth of the gospel. The gospel of flattery is not willing to suffer reproach for Christ's sake. So the gospel of flattery will amalgamate whatever false views and pagan practices are available into the gospel in order to calm the people that he wants to control the preacher wants to control so he will use his manipulation to change the gospel to edit the gospel and make it a gospel of flatteries in order to maintain his um, the people that follow him and keep them under his pastoral wings now, this is what happens all over the nation. This has happened to every denomination. This has happened to many, many, many churches. This happens very easily, and it happens very quickly. It can happen to an evangelist knocking on a door trying to tell somebody about Jesus, and he starts to tell them and they're listening and they say, "Oh, I really like your pastor. I'm thinking about coming to your church Sunday. I've noticed what nice people you are." And he says, "Oh, thank you, ma'am. We'd love to have you." and by the way, a bunch of people will be really impressed with me whenever they see you walk in and all your wealth you might contribute a lot to the tithe and the offering he doesn't say that but he says yes ma'am I'm just here to tell you the gospel I don't want you to go to hell she says oh I don't want to go to hell either tell me the gospel and he says Jesus died for sinners and he won't really say what sin is and he says just pray this little prayer repeat after me and so he flatters her and she says oh I'll pray that little prayer I'm gonna repeat after me he says oh boy I've caught me a big one and Sunday morning rolls around and she rolls into church she unrepentant. She's never dealt with her sins. He's never told her the truth. And she says, Evangelist Joey Johns came to my house and he told me about Jesus and he said, if you don't want to go to hell, repeat this prayer. And I repeated this prayer. I said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please save me. Have mercy on me. And whoop de doo I'm saved now and I'm going to give some money to the church. And everybody claps, applause rolls through the building. The man is lifted up and lauded and respected. And next thing you know, he's on the church payroll and they're sending him flowers every day. And so he goes out and he nets another 10 or 12 big fish like that and and the sky's the limit I mean, he's probably gonna be the next pastor honey this is the gospel of flatteries this is how it works using the gospel to attain personal ambitious goals and advancement and using it in a way that panders to the people you're preaching to Sugarcoating the gospel is the gospel of flattery Dancing around the mulberry bush, never really going to say the truth, never really going to say something in case it offends somebody is the flattery, is the gospel of flattery. And this is the gospel of the mega church in America. You can't have a big church in America right now without preaching the gospel of flattery not one of these you cannot have a mega church in this land without doing it right now it will take the revival power of god before that is possible and then it would be possible you say oh you're too harsh it's not at all i meet the people that go to these churches and they have no repentance no remorse no Christ likeness no godliness no holiness they just go up to their big church have their big praise and worship and the preacher gets up and says a bunch of nothing he says a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing he dances around the daisies he tiptoes through the tulips he won't say a word against any of your sin. He won't talk about your wicked, filthy manga. He won't talk about the sodomy. He won't talk about your, your filthy TV shows. He won't say anything about your sitcoms. He won't talk about your soap operas. He won't say anything of value. He won't tell you that you're offending God even though you walk in there with God-offending abominations all over your shirts and all over everything that you own and all over your phones that you have in your pockets. He'll make a few vague references to sin He'll say, you know, Christians really shouldn't engage in pornography. 75% of people in America are in pornography. But then he just goes on and drops it without ever making any direct application to people because he knows full well that his people all define pornography however they want to. And what we call pornography today is, is, is beyond anything that anybody, any of our forefathers would even comprehend. Listen to me today. Did you know that what they called pornography 100 years ago is what is used as standard advertising in Walmart all over this nation. You can't even walk through Walmart without seeing big post, big pornographic posters that God calls pornography and our forefathers called pornography. And then you want to talk about all your little movies that you watch, and you're watching your girls run around in their shorty shorts, and you're watching all this cleavage and all this garbage and all this nakedness and all these immoral relationships that are pornographic pornographic. Did you know that whenever TVs first started, they would not show a married man laying in bed, fully dressed, on top of the covers next to a fully dressed woman laying on the same bed, fully dressed, married to him. They wouldn't even show it. How far we've fallen. And our preachers just flatter, 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 flatter. They, obtain, they flatter with peace, and they preach peace to these people, and the peace love to have it so. The people love to have it so. Listen to me today as we close. Flattery, the proud have no defense against flattery. The flattery is the tool of the whore and the weapon of the Antichrist. And the whore is most notably not only the physical whore or harlot that will try to hunt for the precious life and destroy a man and his family by causing him to commit adultery, but the spiritual whore in the Bible uses flattery and preaches the gospel of flattery. The great whore, Babylon the Great, Vatican Rome, is the mother of harlots according to God, but she has many daughters, many daughters, and they're scattered all over this nation with every denominational name name on their sign. From Baptist to Episcopalian, they're all across this nation. They're preaching the gospel of flattery. They're preaching peace to a people who know no peace because the wrath of God abideth on them and is sure to fall upon them. But they keep comforting them and petting them and fondling them with their gospel of flattery and their flattering words. The weapon of the Antichrist is flattery. What is the antidote to flattery? And we close A broken and a contrite heart. A broken and a contrite heart is the antidote to the snake's venom of flattery. If you want to be immune to flattery, get humble before God. The more humble you are, the more low you are before God. The more you cleanse your heart, draw nigh to draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Be afflicted, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to sorrow, and your joy to heaviness. If you will humble yourself before Almighty God, repent of your sin, get in the Word of God, seek Him with all your heart. Let His law and His testimonies convict you of your sin. Purge from your life everything offensive to God which is going to cost you a lot because there's not much left that you can be a part of or do or enjoy in this land that isn't offensive to God, absolutely offensive to God. It's going to cost you. But if you are willing to do that and humble yourself before God, repent of your sins and get low before God, you will be immune to flattery. It will have no effect on you. And when you go to a church where the flattering gospel is preached, the gospel of flattery is preached, it will be stench in your nostrils. You won't be able to stand it. And you'll see it as a bunch of nothing. And you'll understand what's being said. Whenever we say, they say a lot of a lot of nothing. They say a whole bunch of everything and a whole lot of nothing at the same time. And you'll understand that because your heart will be tuned to God's heart. We weren't. Uh, we were wanting to get a lot further today, but that's all right. This we looked at a lot of scriptures. I hope you will turn from the flattering words of the gospel. I hope you will turn from the desire to be petted and fondled and have everybody speak well of you. The Bible says when they do that, you're in great danger. And that's the only church and the only preacher you'll listen to is somebody that'll just pet you and stroke you. You're in great danger. Turn from that. Repent of your sin. Humble yourself before God. We'll have to pick this up again tomorrow, Lord willing. But remember, a broken and a contrite heart is the antidote to flattery. You cannot be tempted um, by flattery if you are humble before God, truly humble and contrite before God. Flattery will be so offensive to you whenever God is so big to you. Father, in Jesus' name, protect us from the flattery, the words of the whore, Father, and Lord God, help us, Lord, to, to be alert to the enemy. Lord, he seems like such a buddy, such a friend. He seems so nice. He does nice things, Lord. And he makes it look like he loves us, Lord God, but he's got his arm around us, and he's plotting the course, father of our destruction. There's a cliff in front, Lord, and he's walking us right towards it in the dark, saying, friend, just follow me. I know the way that you ought to go. Follow me, Lord God, no flatterer, worse than the devil. And he says, follow me in the great whore, Lord God, the, the church of the devil. And all of her daughters, Father. Follow me. We're the oldest church. We know what we're doing. Listen to us. Listen to these church fathers. Listen to all this stuff. And they flatter, Father. Deliver us from such. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd use this. Lord, I pray that you'd break out some Roman Catholics, Lord God, who are lost in trespasses and sins and in the grips of the flatter. And I pray that you'd save them, Father. Save them by grace through the blood of Jesus Christ and the merits of Christ alone. Lord, save them through grace and faith. Use this message, Father. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. I'm nobody, and I don't matter to, I don't amount to anything, Lord. But you can use this message, and I dedicate it to you. And I ask you, Lord, to loose those that are held by the captive by the devil. In Jesus' name and for Christ's sake, Amen.